you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. If you have ever wondered if you can build a multi-million dollar business starting out with $100, then today's episode of the Author to Authority podcast is for you. Welcome to the show today. I'm so happy to have Matt Schaup. Did I say that correctly? You did. Yay! And we're going to be talking about his story of how he was laid off. I'm not going to give you the whole story, but from being laid off, he built a business to over $30 million. So we're going to talk about that story today. Welcome to the show, Matt. Kim, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. So normally I'd ask like a really obvious question, like, is it possible to grow a multi-million dollar business? But I kind of already answered that because I said you did. It is. You've just got to do it one one day, one step, one action, one customer at a time. <laughs> I love it. So Matt, why don't you share a bit of your story with us and, you know, what happened and what led you to starting your company that, you know, just grew to such amazing success? Yeah, no, thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, to do so. So so growing up, I grew up in New Jersey till I was 10. And then my family and I moved out to northern Colorado. And I was always kind of a troublemaker as a kid. So I didn't like following rules. I couldn't sit down. I was always labeled as ADD. And uh, but I was also really smart. So I would get through school and especially math and numbers pretty well. But, but then I'd end up in the principal's office because they didn't keep me busy with enough stuff to do. So like we moved. And I, I really vividly remember that summer between turning nine and 10, so fourth and fifth grade, this is when compact discs CDs were, were out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all my new friends in the neighborhood, their parents bought them a boom box from Radio Shack. So I'm like, hey, mom, dad, buy me a boom box. So, yeah, remember Radio Shack? Are they still around? Like, are they still around? Are they Not in Canada. No? It's called the source now. Okay. Yeah. It's called Vacant Building. But yeah, I, I came to my parents and I said, Hey, will you guys give me a couple hundred dollars? They said, no, we're not going to do that. You make $4 a week cutting the grass. So go cut more of our grass or find a way to make money. And I was like, hold on a minute. I can go cut other people's grass. So I took the lawnmower, knocked on doors. And that was, you know, a very critical moment in my life. I'm like, hold on, you can go knock a door, ask for something, set a goal, do hard work and get paid for it. So I just did that over and over and over again. And that bought the boom box. It, it then led to doing snow shoveling. And then I peddled candy out of my locker. So again, like that was my growing up. And, and I love that pedal candy out of your locker. I would have been a drug dealer. Yeah. They're like, I'm like, give me the Reese's. Give me the, you know, so we had, you know, kids come to the locker. I actually got in trouble for that though. So this, the school suspended me because I was competing with the school store without asking for permission. It somehow was not in the handbook. I don't know, but 
I'm an entrepreneur, like I'm a marketing, I'm a sales guy. I love people. I love the chase and the hustle, you know, per se. So that led me into just working some hourly jobs. I was always working. I was getting through school as quick as I could so I could go work and make money. I think I developed kind of an unhealthy relationship with money because it gave me so much certainty and confidence in myself that I really built a lot of that confidence on that, which which kind of plays out later in life. But, you know, I basically find myself in a college 8 a.m. biology class. I get recruited by a college painting company one morning. They came in, talked about a summer internship, and they're like, hey, what are you going to do this summer? Are you going to work at a shoe store? Are you going to deliver pizzas? And I'm like, yep, been there, done that, probably. What do you have going on? And they said, well, you can learn about marketing, sales, entrepreneurship. They're just checking off all the, all the lights are going off, you know, in my brain. And a couple months later, I'm working with them. So I worked through college learning about the painting business and made a bunch of money, spent way more than I made. And I said, you know, this was a cool college gig. I'm, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm going to go find something else to do. And I jumped into the mortgage business back in 2004, 2005, and just mm-hmm. absolutely hated it, really didn't enjoy it. And I'm um, working at a bank. It's March 2005. Totally hate life, hate the job you know, being told what to do every day. And a new bank president, they bring this new guy in and he starts cleaning house. He's like firing everybody, pulls me in. And he says, hey, go get all your stuff, put it in a box, get out, you're fired. And like, that was that. Was standing in a parking lot. I had six figures of debt, $100 left to my name. I'm 22, 23 at the time, recently married. And, you know, like the world was in front of me. I could go do whatever I wanted, but I also needed to figure it out pretty quick because I'm supporting my new wife <laughs> and had to figure it out. So that was the the birth. That was the launch of M&D painting. Wow. You know, you said you started in 2005. I was waiting to hear like 2008, 2009 recession hit and you lost your job. That's what I was waiting. That's what I thought you were going to say to me. You know, if if I would have loved mortgage and and stayed in mortgage, I'm sure that whole era would would have hit pretty hard. So I think it did hit a lot of people there too. So I was actually glad I got out of it. And that recession for us, we were still on on an upward growth trajectory mm-hmm. in business. So I mean, we actually saw a lot of people staying in their homes, and it didn't affect us as it did affect some other people, which which was a great thing. So what made you decide to start the painting company and, and, you know, talk about those first couple of years? Yeah, I would, you know, I would, I would lie, right. And say a real sexy story of like, I just dreamed of being this, you know, painter <laughs> and I didn't, it's all I knew how to do. Right. And I was really upset. I was really angry. I got fired by this dude in a tie and I'm like, I'm going to go prove him wrong. I'm going to become a millionaire. Cause right after he fired me, he's like, maybe you should go do that painting thing. And he kind of cinched up the tie. He was real condescending. And I mean, I literally am standing in that parking lot and all I know how to do from, from growing up is knock on doors to cut grass, shovel snow. And I, you know, I'm not going to cut grass. There's no snow, not going to pedal candy. And I just had been done with four years of painting. And I'm like, you know what? It first came, it was just going to hold us over. I came home and I told Emily, Hey, I got, I got let go. She was very supportive. She said, Hey, what are we going to do? I told her what we're going to do. And then I went out, but I thought we would for nine, 10 months, just through that season, make some money to just, just float by and then figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
And then we got to the end of that year and we, we raked in like a half million worth of top line in business, which was a great top line. It was very profitable. And I said to Emily, I'm like, Hey babe, let's, let's take this thing. Let's keep it going and let's, let's get it growing. And it was really at that point, it was after we made it through a season. Cause I just started driving forward. I didn't really look back. And I said, we can actually build a business here. So you reached a level that most people barely ever reach in their business. How did you manage to do that in such a short space of time? Like, what was your sales process like? Yeah, I, I tell people that I had four years of, of JV experience, right? My, my son right now, he's playing JV football, getting ready for varsity. And I just didn't drop into this painting business, not knowing anything. I had four years of understanding sales, you know, um, converting prospects, things like that. And the college painting model was very much knock on doors and turn it into business. So, you know, my sales model was, was very regimented, very trackable. I knew how to knock on doors. And I knew if I knocked on doors for this much time at this time of day, I would get a certain number of estimates. I knew how to convert those. So it really was just like, Hey, we can do a half million dollars of business. And, and I worked backwards. So a big takeaway for business owners, wherever they're at, is you need to have a, a marketing method that works, gets you in front of clients. And then in front of those clients, it, they turn into clients and it's ratios and it's numbers. And a lot of times businesses stop short. They don't do things enough. Yeah. They just go, oh, I tried this 14 times and it didn't work. And then they stop. I'm like, no, go try it like 200 times, 300 times. And, and then... You know, it's funny. I was in network marketing for quite a few years because it was a good mm -hmm. thing to do when the kids were little. Yeah. And oh, man, I really was not good at it. But I had this entrepreneurial heart. And I didn't even realize as a kid that I had an entrepreneurial heart. I knew I always had a teaching heart. But I yeah. didn't realize there was also an entrepreneur sitting in there as well. Yeah. But I remember I finally joined my last network marketing company. And it was such a blessing because this company had district managers, so local mm -hmm. managers, and their job was to teach anyone who wanted to learn how to sell and recruit. So for two years, I mean, that's all I'd ever been asking for. Every company I went in, I was just asking, will you teach me how to do this? Like, I'm teachable. Tell me, do something. I will right. do it. As long Tell as it's morally it. and ethically and legally okay, I will do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so... I spent two years with this manager sitting basically on her hip and I learned how to do everything that she did. But one thing she taught me was to track my numbers if I wanted yeah. to reach a certain goal. So like you, I knocked on doors. Yeah, I knocked on doors all the time. And I learned how to knock on doors. I learned how to talk to people and I learned how to track my numbers. And so yeah. I knew how many doors I need to, to knock on to get a customer. And I knew how many doors I needed to knock on to get um, a recruit. Now, eventually I started doing malls and shows and that, and that, I mean, that expanded it quite a bit, but I started out, it was successful knocking on doors. Yeah. And I, and I always tell people there, there's something about door knocking, whether that's, you know, residential or even B2B, right. Business to business. There's just something about that, that builds some, some grit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me tell you, no becomes your friend and you better learn to accept it and you better yeah. look a smile on your face because sometimes you're interrupting people in yeah. a good situation. I remember one time I knocked on this door and a gentleman answered and I just asked if the lady of the house was home and he said, 
no. And then I could hear her in the background. <laughs> so he's like, this is not a good time. And you could feel the tension coming out of the house. Like you could cut it with a knife. And in the background, she's like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> thinking, she's like, I'm going to leave now. Maybe I'll just come back another day. Thank you very much. Bye now. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had I've had interesting experiences. I mean, I've had I've had guns not not pointed at me, but you know, pulled out, shown to me. Uh, dogs definitely chased by dogs, bit by a couple couple dogs. Um, yeah, and you just get the craziest thing said. But I've also had people on the flip side invite me in for dinner and for coffee, and I've made some really great friends. I mean, some I just spoke to. A lady, her name's Cindy, uh, one of the first doors I ever knocked on. And she's like, I hired you because you reminded me of my husband when, you know, when he was young and he was out starting a roofing company. So, uh, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. And then there's there's just everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, one thing I love about your story, Matt, is the fact that, you know, sometimes people think that the only way you can sell these days is online social media, yeah. all that kind of stuff. It, it's not true. There are so many offline ways that you can sell. And I mean, depending your business, I mean, I'm a publisher, knocking on doors is not going to, you know, but many times in business, maybe you can knock on doors. Yeah. And I think too, especially this is back in 2005, right before a lot of social media and the internet and everything really started taking off. But I mean, even even now with like if I was to restart everything over tomorrow, I would I would still build a social media presence, right? But I would go knock on doors. I mean, that is the quickest way to get in front of somebody in, in the residential space that needs work done. And I feel like we're so accustomed to going online and being sold online. And, you know, even though it's right there on your computer screen, there's not it's not the actual person right there. So it's kind of refreshing to have that human contact in a handshake and a, Hey, can we just sit down? So no, I would encourage, I would encourage every and any business owner to, to do that for sure. Yeah. Definitely think out of the box. Yeah. Matt, we're going to, we're going to continue on here. We're going to take a quick commercial break audience. RTI publishing has some free resources for you. So take a listen. I promise no longer than 17 seconds. One of the keys to becoming an author is hiring the right publisher. It's the difference between having a book that converts readers into clients and one that sits unused on a shelf. Check out seven questions to ask before hiring a publisher. Get it free at authortoauthority.com slash publisher. Welcome back. Matt, I, I love that. I loved your story. Let's let's continue it here. So, you know, you had that that first period of time. You had that success. What happened after that? Yeah, so it was really interesting. I've always loved the marketing and the sale. Uh, people laugh at me, but I've never been good at painting. I have a I have a really great friend. He was actually just on our podcast. And he he was working for me as a as an independent contractor. You know, here small jobs here and there. And he goes, I I always hated you, man. I wanted to smack you around because you never you never knew how to paint. And we're still friends. He's like, I don't know how we're still friends today. But that was easy for me to let go of just because I was never never good at it. So when you get to this point in the business, you're a solopreneur, right? So it's just you. You're doing everything, and you can only do so much. You're really limited. You're just exchanging your time for money. Hopefully it's more money than what you were making at your other job. Hopefully you're enjoying it more. 
but I had to quickly get away from the things I didn't like. So, so painting, I never did, which was great. But that next step for me to take that business from that, say half million dollar to, to million dollar level is I knew I could sell that if I did not have to be out on the job sites managing. So I pulled in a project manager. And then from there, the hardest thing for me was pulling in another salesperson because like it's sales is my baby. M and E, it's Matt and Emily, like it's our name, it's our family, our, our kids, our family's young and growing at that point. So they're on all the ads and you know all the, the, the PR and everything that we're doing. So eventually though, to step out to that true leadership position, you have to hire people that you can train and that you trust and that can execute better on you know the things even that are your, your giftings. And it was just a slow progress for me there. And again, it's easier to let go of the things you don't like doing, like bookkeeping, accounting, all the office work emily started to help with that we eventually brought somebody else in but yeah it's just it's a slow process and i think getting from that level of being self-employed solopreneur to being a business owner where you're really counting on training inspiring leading other people you have to get out of their way you have to have a level of trust you have to give them things to do that they can execute on you need to be there to help them but you also don't want to be hovering over their shoulder um, disempowering them yeah, the funny thing about that is that you're right. You have to find the right people because you have to trust these people. You know, yes. it's funny. whenever I have to, you know, when I've hired a book project manager, it's a very carefully chosen person because, first of all, not they're dealing with, you know, my very high end, very high class clients. So yep. she's got to be able to deal with them properly. Uh, and it's always been a she, not. Mm-hmm. Just turned out they've always been cheese, but uh, not opposed to a man one. The thing was, was with the way the business is set up, this person has access to some of my very <laughs> important financial information. Uh, so yeah. it's like, yes, this person. And, you know, they admin a lot of my stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not the right person, they could shut me down very easily. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I've, I've had people, you know, we had a gentleman here back in 2000. 14 and 15 that embezzled 50 dollars from us that that wasn't a great year yeah and there was some some things there you know again i've got and it's the flip side right you always share that like getting bit by the dog but then hey i'm in having dinner with a wonderful family we had that employee that did that but i mean i also have a gentleman who's been here with the company for for 15 16 years he came you know right in right as we were starting he's our, our right hand man i'm the visionary he's the integrator implementer and just great guy great guy yeah i think the one thing i've learned especially about hearing a lot of these stories is even when you you know you you hire these people you can't fully take your hands off you still i think there still has to be checks and balances and and mm-hmm. You have to be, I mean, ultimately it's your company. So you're responsible for what happens. Right. So I think it's, you know, it's a matter of teaching training, but also having accountability. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you know, you have to give them the role, the specifics, the details, hold them accountable to that. And if they're not meeting that, you've got to correct them. You've got to get them back up to speed on the same page. And, you know, sometimes you've got to let somebody go if it, if it isn't working out. Um, but then, you know, and, I, and I've gotten to the point to the business, too, because I own some other companies where, you know, I've stepped out of the the day to day. And sometimes I'd say I'd even stepped out a little bit too much. So there's, you know, there's nothing ever that's totally passive that you can totally step out of. Like you have to be present 
and there and, and doing things that are going to drive, you know, drive the business forward. So if you were talking to a solopreneur right now, maybe someone who hasn't even made their first hundred thousand, mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give them? It's just keep pushing forward. I, especially in this age of social media, and we'll talk a little bit about the book and how that ties in, but you just think about this. You scroll through, and I know you guys are all scrolling. Don't tell me you're not, right? But you're in there on TikTok or Instagram. Everything that pops up just seems to be how, oh, I own $100 million worth of real estate, and I bought it with everybody else's money, right? It just seems like in a 40-second reel, this, this whole guy's 20-year career is posted in front of you, and then they're trying to sell you a product, so you start to feel bad like your business isn't there enough. We just live in this microwave society where a lot of people are painting this picture of perfection and success that you don't realize took a long time. I'm 20 years into this business. We're, we're actually facing some struggles and challenges in our business right now with increasing costs and declining margins and things like that. So it's like, it's not always, the road to success is, it's not always like this, right? Or I'm going this way, hold on, which way am I on the screen? <laughs> it's, it's, it's one Up, down, the, left, it's right. All around. So just again, remember, remember why you're doing the business you're doing. Remember why you're getting up every day, why you're doing this. That's so important. If you lose track of that, when it gets hard, I see a lot of people quit. So remember the why and find and search out other people, mentors, coaches that have been where you want to be and they can help. Uh, sometimes it's just hard to get out of your own way and, and get out of your, your yourself, right? So just having people that can call you out, say, you, know, you just need to do this or, you know, stop doing this or start doing this, whatever, whatever that is. Um, and appreciate the small wins. I think mm -hmm. as I've been discouraged as a business owner, I'll be harder on myself many times than a lot of people are ever hard on me. Somebody can say something about me, I'll brush it off, right? But then I'll go sit in my closet and like beat myself up and cry for 30 minutes about something. Like you can sometimes be your own worst enemy, but your brain cannot process appreciation, gratitude, love, thankfulness at the same time that you have anxiety fear, scarcity. So it's what, you, it's what you focus on. Like they literally happen in the same place in the, in the brain. So making sure that you're starting your day and continuing your day with mm. just constant appreciation and thankfulness and gratitude for where you're at. And it just takes time. Like anything good takes a decade. Love it. Yeah. I'm eight years in. So, you know, this year has been such a year of transformation yeah. in, in the business. You know, it's funny. I came out of 2019. Um, to be honest, I had nothing left. Like it had been a really bad year, not only for me, but for some of my major employees. Uh, just, just so much. And came to December. You know, I had to run the business, and I couldn't sell because I was trying to. Keep, and came down to December. I had just enough money to pay my employees and give them a small Christmas bonus, and there was nothing left in the bank account. Yeah, and I had no business coming in either. Yeah. Like I had nothing. Been there, been there. Yeah. Now, thankfully, my husband had a job. <laughs> so we weren't going to be living out on the streets. I came into 2020 and it was really funny. I hit about November, beginning of December. I mean, I knew things were bad and I was just like, I'm like, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Mm -hmm. And he just, he just kept saying to me, Kim, just have hope. 2020 is going to yeah. be better. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's going to, my word of the year is hope right? Yeah. Came into 2020. I knew for me that about a 90 day sales cycle. So, you know, mm -hmm. if I started 
lead gen in, in January, I'd start to see some results in March. Okay. Yes. That's fine. You know, hit the grindstone, took a break over Christmas, joined my family, you know, just put everything away, hit the grindstone beginning of January, March, 2020 hits. Yes. Now for most people, it was disastrous, but for me, Every person whose excuse had been that they didn't have the time, guess what? Mm -hmm. They now had the time. So I went from almost nothing. I mean, I think I'd gotten like maybe one or two sales in there, just enough to keep some money flowing in. But all of a sudden in March, April, my phone is ringing off the hook. Like I've got people messaging me every day. Kim, I know we were, we had talked about doing a book, but, and I didn't have the time, but now, so, you know, for me, it, it, almost the complete opposite to what everybody else was going through. But I could relate because back at December 2019, I'm going, do I even keep this thing open? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears here, Matt, because we're running out of time and I do want to talk about your book. I just can, so enjoyed today's conversation. Can I, can I add, just add one thing? Cause you touched on it and, and I'll take 60 seconds, no more. Uh, but, but you mentioned you, you talk to God, right? So anybody that's listening to this, if they're a believer and they follow, they follow God, I do, I follow Jesus. There, there's sometimes in business where like just on paper, the P and L, the X's and O's, it doesn't make sense. And you're putting everything on your shoulders, right? So maybe you're in a struggle. Maybe you're having some success. You're trying to get it to that next level. I, I did poorly at the, for, for a long time, and this has been you know, part of my faith journey, is you you have to rely on God. If, yes. if, if, you, if you don't believe in God, then don't believe in God and then rely on yourself. But you can only do so much. You only have so much time, energy, resources, mental health. Okay, If you're a believer, you believe in God. You have to give certain things up. You've got to open the hands and just say, I, I've done all I can do. And you've got to pray and you've got to ask God for provision and for those things to come. Doesn't mean sit on your butt and don't do anything. Don't be lazy and think God's going to rain all this business on you. But, but a lot of times believers, we don't bridge that gap enough. And we, we say we believe, but then when it comes down to it, we take and put everything on ourselves. Um, so just want to give that as, as an encouragement. In, in your in your prayers and your walk, make sure that you're that you're really focusing on that. Well, we we forget to ask God to put His super on our natural. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. <laughs> uh, Matt, let's let's shift gears here. I love what you just said. I'm Thanks. fully fully agree. You know, God owns this business, and so there's times He just tells me to do things that don't make any sense, but. Uh, I choose to follow him every day and I have not regretted it one day of my life. Me either. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to talk about your book though. So Matt, tell us, you know, what's the title of your book? What's it about? Who did you write it for? The book title is Painted Baby. And the subtitle is Connect with Clients Through Brave and Vulnerable Storytelling. Love and I, I touched a little bit on the whole social media culture, right, of you everywhere you go, marketing, advertising, messaging, right? They hook you and then they paint this picture of perfection and show you some simple process on how to get there, right? Because they're trying to sell something to you. I sold like that for a really long time. So I was always out there crushing and closing deals with A plus five star shiny marketing brochure, best of the best. And I was in a really big sales appointment about to close the biggest contract of our painting career. This was in 2011. And I'm I'm given all the different, you know, closing techniques and all the great reviews. And the customer's like, hold on a minute. He goes, tell me about a time you screwed up. 
like you're giving me all these A plus reviews. I want to know about a time that you messed something up. <laughs> and I was like, wait, we're not supposed to do that. We're, we're not, we're not trained. We're not conditioned. We don't live in a society where you lead or you interject any imperfection, right? That would make you vulnerable. People would judge you. People would not do business with you. But I said, that's what he asked for. And I really wanted to close this deal. So I'm like, okay, we painted the wrong color on a house once. And like, that's not a big deal. So he kind of called BS on that. And I said, well, we painted the right color, but we painted it on the wrong house once. We actually went to a house. We got the addresses confused. We weren't supposed to be painting. And he kind of did, he kind of did what you just did. And then he leaned in, he wanted to know more, uh, but it, but it hooked him. And then he, but, but he still, he still wouldn't sign the contract. And he goes, I really want to know about a time that you had a massive failure and what you did about it. I said, well, fine. We painted a baby. We're on a job site getting ready to spray a garage door, a semi-gloss black paint. Homeowner is standing behind my painter, holding her nine month old baby. And right when he goes to pull the trigger, there was just this one in a million kind of jam, the sprayer jammed up at the right place, right time, boom, explodes black paint all over the painter, the house, the landscape, the concrete, the mom, the baby. So we painted, we painted a baby. Like that's a really, really bad day at the, at the office on the job site. But I'm telling this story in the sales engagement and he's, he's hooked. He wants to know what happens. There's this drama. There's this plight that I'm going through this. Just, you know, you think of any reality TV, right? Anything you watch, there's the, the storyline. And then this character gets into this moment of, oh my gosh, what happened? So we told him what happened. We told him how we addressed it, how we triaged the situation. Baby's okay. Everybody is okay. All the people are okay. Made a huge mess, cost a lot of time and money to clean up, but we made it right. So the, the point of that is I was able to show really what we were made of as a company when something was on the line. Like you say you have integrity, but if your integrity is never questioned, how do you prove it? So, so the guy, Bill, he reaches across the table, shakes my hand. You're the kind of guy I want to do business with. And, you know, that's what I was looking for. So I realized, Hey, you know, show all the great stuff, but there's also the reality of your business of like, we're humans serving humans. We don't always get it right. We're going to be imperfect. And in that imperfection, you, you can show who you're made of. And I went on this journey literally since this happened. It took me seven years to write the book. I initially wrote it as a, hey, if you share business horror story, you'll close more business. Here's how to get more sales. But you know, I really found throughout this process that it's more about human connection and building trust and showing a business owner that, hey, you're a leader. You're running a business. You need to go first and be vulnerable in the stories you share. And that will connect you with people deeper. And that's what yeah. sells more business for you. And I'll, and I'll grab the book really quick because it's my daughter. My daughter's on the cover here. And she gets a, she gets a small royalty for every book that I sell. But uh, it, it's an amazing book. I interviewed other business owners, business leaders that have gone through you know, a lot of adversity. They've, they've shared their painted baby stories in the book. And you know, I create a process of how you can interject this right into your sales and customer relations process. Love it, Matt. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask every author that comes on the show. So what was the good, the bad, and the ugly about writing, editing, and publishing that book? The good, I feel like everybody has a book that, that they should write, whether it's like their autobiography, their story. Just, just the idea of taking a story and sharing it and it can connect with other people and teach them something valuable. I think like any 
any book, we get so tied up on book sales and all this stuff, right? Like this brings value to people's lives more so than I thought. I, I uh, a lot of Christian businessmen are attracted to me and my story. So that's kind of a sub niche of just overall business owners and leaders that I serve. And they're like, Matt, you know, this is great. It helps me with sales, but this book really helped me get vulnerable about some stuff that I'm going through in my relationships. So this book really transcended business for me. And I thought that was, that was amazing. The bad, it's funny. I started it in 2015 and sometimes I go, oh, I should have finished this sooner. I don't think that's bad. I think it was a better, it was a better book because of it. I got to think back about like bad and ugly per se, because I think I'm, I'm a very glasses half full person. One thing I'll say, anybody that's going to write a book though, and you will go through this and maybe this is the ugly or just something to really know that you're going to face is I would, I would write, I would write something, right. And then I'm, I'm proofing it. And I'm like, what is this garbage that I just wrote? I don't know if you, if you have this or your clients have this, you're like, did I write, did I write this? And you'll, you'll be, you'll be in your brain. And maybe it's still good, but it is this emotional roller coaster because like you're op you're opening up your your soul and maybe you know maybe you're writing more of an informative it's process and it doesn't have story but like this was a very personal book for me but I think just for any author you're gonna get to points where you're like that's that part's awesome chapter two killed it and then you roll in the same the same five minutes you're you're in chapter three like what what is this and it, it, uh, it's just an emotional process, right? So go, th go through that process, understand it may take longer than you take mm -hmm. or longer than yeah. you think it's going to take. And that's, that's totally okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, I wouldn't say that there's anything bad, bad about it. I like your outlook. You know, the funny thing is, Matt, in every client I've worked with my, my own books, like you said, there's the chapter that you love. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be the chapter that you hate. And no matter how much you work yeah. on that thing, you just cannot get it quite the way you want it to. And the, you yeah. just yeah. accept it. You just accept it. Okay, this is not my best chapter, but it needs to be here for the book to make sense. And I'm just going to let this thing go. <laughs> well, and there's, and there's certain parts of the book too, I would say, just like certain parts of the book where, hey, this is great, but it doesn't make sense here in this book at this time. So you'll sometimes as you're writing a book, like you'll have a whole nother book that, that kind of comes out of that. It gets, and oh, yeah. gets part. I'd also say not everybody's going to love your book. Yeah. Every client I work with, we go through this mm -hmm. and I yeah. just, I have two words for them. I just look at them because they're like, oh, maybe we need to add this. No, I look at my book too. Yes. Yeah. And then they go, but, 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 book two. Book two. Book two. <laughs> and then, Matt, and then I to, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Matt, we are out of time. We I are. would love to continue this conversation. It's supposed to be about 30 minutes. I'll go to 35. We okay. okay. Well, thank you. Thanks I think for giving me the I probably just really go. But Matt, I would love for you to just take a moment, give a final thought. And, you know, let people know if you have anything free to give away or how they can connect with you. Yeah. So a couple of big things is if you go to mattshop.com, I have a free tools, free resources button, and you can jump on there. I'll send a bunch of leadership tools, a couple of chapters to, to both of my books and some and some workbooks. And, um, you know, big thing I'm working on for next year is I am taking a, a group of uh, faith-based fathers and their sons over to Spain to do a father-son hike on the Camino. So that's a, a big passion project that I've got coming up for 
for next year. And yeah, you can get to know me and meet me on the website there. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. If you have enjoyed today's episode, I highly recommend that you scan back to episode 438, How to Rebuild Your Business When Life Throws You Curveballs with my dear friend, Mia Tor. You know, if, if you've listened to this and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I just, I'm there. I'm there. That It's a wonderful episode. If you're on YouTube, you will see the thumbnail somewhere here on the screen because I never know where it gets put because it's my daughter who does it and I think she changes it every once in a while. And if you're on your podcast app, just scan on back episode 438. Thank you so much for listening today. You are a blessing to me and my guests. Have a great day and we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've You've been been listening listening to the the Author to Authority Authority Podcast. The Extraordinary Word Ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time. Oops.